0: Uh, I'd like to read uh, this morning uh, the first 13 verses of James 2. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man with dirty clothes... And you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But well, you've dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppressed you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you've been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, He has become guilty of all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, having read those 13 verses, uh, what's that paragraph about? Join uh, Pardon? Treat people the same. Treat people the same? Okay. Love. Foundation? Joe? Okay. Treat people the same. Not showing favoritism. Brian? Love as you have been loved. That's what's called the royal law here. Dean? mercy triumphs over judgment. So we're, we're dealing with mercy, we're dealing with uh, partiality, we're dealing with um, the law of love, which is to love your neighbor as yourself. And uh, so as we come to the book of James, uh, five chapters, a relatively short book, it's full of personal commands and exhortation for Christians. This is written for believers, instructing us in the ways in which our faith should be lived out in everyday life. The assumption behind it is this. If you are truly people who have put your faith in Jesus Christ to be forgiven of your sins and thus escape the wrath of God, there are certain evidences that our faith is real and genuine. Jesus spoke about uh, a person who built his house upon the sand versus the one who built his house upon the rock. And that illustration was an illustration of uh, this verse that Jesus spoke. He says, in that day, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only those who've done the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so Jesus speaks about a people who claimed or professed that he was their Lord, and yet they were not doing the will of God and thus did not inherit the kingdom of heaven. In Christ, we become new creatures. And this newness that happens to us, should become visible and evident to people around us. One of the things by which you can test the reality of faith is by looking at changes that have occurred in your life since you became a Christian. Because becoming a Christian is not simply agreeing to a set of facts. Becoming a Christian is actually a supernatural transaction that takes place where the Spirit of God comes into us and we become new creatures. Um, Now, most of the New Testament epistles are addressed for this purpose, instructing us how to live our lives in accordance with the calling with which we've been called. So, the assumption that underlies all that James says here is that the evidence of people who walk in faith should be... Uh, uh, clear by the kind of life that they live so that's what we're going to talk about this morning Um, uh, James in chapter 1 verse 22 told us not to simply be hearers of the word but to be doers not to just hear the truth and proclaim it but also to be doers of the word and so that's what James is all about teaching us how to be doers In this passage here this morning, he is speaking to believers in the church, and he is warning us about the sin of um, favoritism or partiality. And what does he use for an illustration in verses 2 and 3? The illustration is, so let's say there's uh, two people that come into your church. One is rich, and according to the verse, how do they know he's rich? what is how he's dressed and so we're kind of making a judgment an initial judgment is based on appearances he looks rich so I'm assuming he's a rich man a poor man comes in and he how do they know he's poor by the way he's dressed so we assume that you know poor people dress this way rich people dress this way and uh, and, uh, and so you got these two people that come into the church and the rich man is shown a lot of attention and he's led up to the front of the church where the best seats are, right here. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so apparently you're all poor people back there. <laughs> and the poor person is simply kind of dismissed and, you know, go stand over there, or here, come sit down by my footstool. And, um, and that's the illustration. We view the rich man as of greater value and of more importance than the poor man, even though you don't know either one of them. Now, just ask yourself, and just answer to yourself as well, have you ever looked down on someone, because of their poverty. Have you ever looked at poor people as being somewhat below us? Or we think of them as being somewhat pathetic? Um, It's a pretty common thing. In fact, what does it mean to look down on somebody? To look down on somebody. You're putting yourself above them. You're not showing them any respect. It says something about our character? character. What does it say about our character? we're not thinking right or we're not doing the right thing. Okay, okay. So James here says, don't hold your faith. In other words, if you are a person of faith, this ought not to be a part of the attitude that exists in the church of Jesus Christ. And yet it's not just rich and poor that we look down on. What are some other distinctions among people that we make that cause us to devalue them as a person as opposed to uh, uh, others around us, perhaps? So we got the poor, rich and the poor. Their conversations and their conduct. Okay, okay. Behavior. Cultural biases. Cultural biases such as Race that, Okay, that's a big one. nobody that's, that's been the problem for a lot of years in the church is looking at people of different races or even nationalities as being of less value or not as important as others. And, that's, and, and you notice in verse 4, so James gives the first verse is, okay, this is what we're not supposed to do, Verses 2 and 3 illustrates it. This is, this is what often happens. Now, while you were doing your neighbor nudge, I was up here watching. <laughs> People in our church come at different times, okay? So some of you are here like at a quarter to ten. Some of you are rolling in at like ten to ten. Some are it's ten o'clock and you're at the, coming through the door. Uh, we, so we come in at different times, and so you don't get that. That's why we do the greeting time, because we're not always here uh, at the same time. But um, I have been in churches where everybody else is standing around greeting each other, and we're just sitting there all by ourselves for 10 minutes, and no one said a word to us. Um, even though we're dressed like everybody else, so what's the issue there? They have their own cliques. They have their own clicks? okay? It's, it's it's we have a certain fear, I don't want to call it a fear, strangers sometime intimidate us. Or we don't you know, we don't know what to talk about or we're not sure how to address them. Um, now, the, the redeeming thing is I don't see a lot of that in our church for which we, our elders are very grateful for it. Um, when asking people uh, at some of our, our luncheons, you know, what was it that really... Um, we're, not, we're not as concerned about what gets people into our church as, about, as we are about what keeps them here. And uh, what keeps them here is, is num- probably number one is just the sense that they feel uh, a loving fellowship when they get here. So that's what we want to maintain, okay? So, but there's always the possibility that someone could come into our church and maybe, um, maybe they look different than us, maybe they're dressed you know, like a poor person would dress, how, however that, it's hard to say anymore how poor people dress. Because um, I, I see. <laughs> What's that? The expensive Levi's. Yeah, the old. Levi's with <laughs> the holes in them. And, and, uh, uh, and sometimes it's things like, oh, so I'm, I'm taking our demographic into co- account here. Someone comes in and they're covered with tattoos. And then we draw certain conclusions simply from that appearance. And uh, so it's not just rich and poor, there's other distinctions that we make as well. But in James' account here, the, the big one, the one that's most uh, prevalent probably, is sh- peop, uh, people showing attention to the rich, the wealthy, those, the, the, you know, the famous, And not showing that same attention to those who are poor or not rich and famous and look like us. That's that's a James illustration here. But in verse 4, he draws a conclusion. He describes what that kind of attitude is like. When we look down on some and we elevate others. When we look at some that we consider, this person is of greater value than is this person." And James' conclusion in verse four, "Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives?" Now first of all, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? Um, and I'm going to read a verse from Galatians 3:28 uh, about those who are in Christ it says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, we are all one. We're all on the same level. There's, even though I'm standing up here higher than you are, uh, as a person, we're all on the same level. We're, we're, we're no, one, no one in the body of Christ is of greater value than another person in the body of Christ. We are all one in Christ. There's no distinction in the body of Christ between male and female, slave and free, rich and poor. Those distinctions are eliminated. We're of equal value in the eyes of the Lord. Judges with evil thoughts or evil motives. You have judged the rich man to be more valuable than the poor man. What motivates us to think that way? And let me read some Proverbs for you, okay? Now, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, but the New Testament book of James, it most closely parallels the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs is all about practical living in the world today, day by day, uh, by people who fear the Lord. So here's here's what James says. Now tell me if you think these are true. You can tell me right now that they're true, all right? I don't know what Okay. Proverbs 14:20, the poor are shunned even by their neighbors, but the rich have many friends. Proverbs 19:4, wealth brings many friends. Proverbs 19.6, many curry favor with a ruler and everyone is the friend of a man who gives gifts. Do you see those statements in the world today? They're pretty common. See, that's what Proverbs is all about. The Proverbs in the book of Proverbs are the result of old gray-haired wise men who've lived uh, a long, long time and they've looked around the world throughout their experience, and these, they see these same kinds of patterns recurring over and over and over again. Why is it that rich people... No, let me say it this way. Why is it that people want to befriend the rich and the famous? Get to get something? Okay. Okay. Now, here, let me ask you a question. Okay, you guys be honest now. How many of you have ever sought out the autograph of someone famous or wanted to take a selfie with them while you were at Disneyland? (laughs) Okay, so now let's ask, what is in that for us? What, what's, what, why do we, I mean, we do with it. I I mean, although I've been here like 30 years and no one's yet asked for an autographed bulletin. (laughs) (laughs) So, yes. Is there some sense in which when we kind of buddy up with someone that's prestigious and that somehow we feel identified with, you know, I'm asking myself the question, you know, uh, why do I want an autographed baseball? Of I don't know any baseball players anymore. <laughs> Babe Ruth is dead, and I think Mickey Mantle's gone too. <laughs> yes, you may not have the riches, but if you're, if you're, it, it, it's almost a facade. But it, Proverbs is very clear that this is this is how, what happens in the world, and. I didn't, I didn't look all this up but you know I've heard of a number of championship prize fighters in the boxing world and they've got all of these people around them, fought, they have an entourage you know wherever they go until the money's gone and then they're gone and like Ann said that they're not true friends, a true friends sticks closer than a brother <laughs>
1: okay yeah that may be yeah <laughs>
0: We took our couple of our granddaughters uh, to—it's been a number of years ago—a Newsboys concert, and uh, we, you know, we paid for tickets to sit up near the front. Big mistake. Uh, I mean, the speakers were as high as the ceiling here, and you're sitting right in front of them, and it just was a disaster. Anyway. But they got their pictures taken with them and that whole thing, and you know, that was a big deal, and so, you know, I, I'm re, I read this. Um, have we become judges with evil motives, or why do we do that? I guess that's what I'm saying. It's kind of fun, um, but is there something behind that whereby we look at, why are stars called stars? I mean movie stars, okay? Why are they called stars? They shine. they shine. brighter than everybody else. For everyone to see. For everyone to see, okay. And they always burn out. And they always burn out. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. <laughs> until a bigger star comes. <laughs> yeah, until a bigger star comes. So, <sighs> When you look at those whom God has honored between the rich and the poor. It's in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, did God not choose the poor of the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you, personally drag you into court, blaspheme the fair name by which you are called? And so James goes on to say he says, "Look, God has honored the poor, but you've dishonored the poor, and so we've got this, we've got this disconnect here, this conflict. Do you not know that God has chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith? God has chosen the poor, but you have dishonored the poor. Now, in what way is this an accurate statement?" that God has chosen the poor of the world to be rich in faith heirs of the kingdom promised to those who love him is has God not ever chosen any rich people to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom yeah okay Okay. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? you money, it's Yes. But at the same time, you can rely on your Okay. Okay. Now, here's the thing in general, because this is how James and Proverbs would work. In general, the poor rather than the wealthy are more likely to, cheat, to, to seek the Lord. That's just in general, okay? That doesn't mean that rich people cannot be rich in faith, be chosen of God, to be rich in faith. But in general, the poor are more likely to pursue, uh, just like what Ron said, they're not leaning on their riches because they don't have any. And maybe if they did have, any, have some, they would, but they don't. And so that causes them to seek the Lord for their security. Typically, the poor are more receptive to the gospel than are the rich. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, "...but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise." God's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. God's chosen the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. Things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. And just like Ron was mentioning a moment ago, the wealthy often depend on their wealth for their security. Pardon? Pardon? Yeah, that's right, that's right. Their, their needs are met by their wealth in many cases. But how do you explain the wealthy that commit suicide? Because they have all this money in the world, and yet they fall into depression and despair, and they realize, people realize, that there are some things that money just cannot buy. Um, riches are often a source of pride or conceit and I'm a little reluctant to mention this, but I will. <laughs> you notice how incensed the Hollywood crowd has gotten because no one pays any attention to their views on the political process. They, there, there is a sense in which the wealthy feel like their opinions are to be paid attention to more than others. And that's a part of simply being wealthy. It's not just Hollywood. Um, Here's what the Lord says in Jeremiah 9.23, and this, this applies to all of us. Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not a mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. I exercise loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for these are the things I delight in. 1 Timothy 6.17. So Paul, in the book of 1 Timothy, actually addresses rich believers, believers in Jesus Christ who are also wealthy. And here's the warning he gives them in 6.17. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. So we still have to make sure that we don't look at the rich, the famous, the athletes, the people that are really successful in a manner that would say they are more valuable than others are? What does it say about the a person in the wheelchair or the paraplegic who doesn't have the ability to do any of those great things that we often elevate people for? Is there value there? The world today is saying, no, there's not. They're placing value on how much you can contribute to society. Yes? Earlier, I was going to mention the groups that we discriminate against or look down on are the disabled. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it, it's, it's all, this, this here is all about showing value. It's really not necessarily about treating everybody the same, and I'll, I'll explain that here at the very end. We're really not necessarily saying you have to treat everybody the same, but you do have to value everybody the same. And, and I'll, just, I'll just jump to the chase because I think most of you are still awake at this point. Uh, (laughs) So so my son comes to me and he says, Dad, can I borrow the car for the next couple days because mine's not running? And I throw him the keys to the car and let him go. Then I have some guy off the street who comes to my door and says, I'd like to borrow your car for the next couple days. Um, I am going to be discriminating at that point. Okay, so we're not talking about, I have to treat, I, I have to do the same thing for everyone as I do for one, but I do have to value all people the same. I'm not going to give him the keys to my car, but that doesn't mean I think less of him, other than maybe he's not my son. And uh, it's like Paul says in Galatians 6, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. And what does that especially add to the mix there? Without let us, reservation. What's that? Without reservation. Without reservation. And even more so. Okay? So again, just, just to make clear, we're not saying I have to let everybody have the same privileges as I let maybe my son or my daughter have. But I don't consider them of less value. I just don't give my car keys. Jesus talked about the difficulty of rich men entering the kingdom of heaven. He says, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. The parable of the sower, and there's these four kinds of soils representing four kinds of hearts upon which the Word of God was sown. And here's one of the soils in Matthew 13, 22. And listen to what prevents this soil from bearing fruit from the word. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. It is hard for a wealthy person to enter the kingdom of heaven. There are far more not rich people who turn to the Lord than rich people. However, God does not choose the poor to be rich in faith because they're poor. Neither does God choose the rich who are rich in faith because they're rich. People are rich in faith, whether they're poor or whether they're rich, If they love the Lord and have put their faith in Jesus Christ, they become heirs of the promises. Rich and poor is irrelevant at that point. The point of this passage is the Lord is not impressed by the prestigious or the rich, and thus neither should we be. That would be the bottom line. Okay, God loves rich and poor alike, but he's not overly impressed with the rich more than he is the poor, And that's what he's calling us to be like as well. There's three things about the rich and the poor that relate to this. First of all, Proverbs 22.2, the rich and poor have a common bond. You know what it is? The Lord is the maker of them all. In the Old Testament, both the rich and the poor were subject to the same law. There wasn't one law for the rich and one law for the poor. The poor were not to be judged differently because they were poor, and the rich were not to be judged differently because they were rich. God's standards were absolute, whether you're rich or whether you're poor. Being poor was no excuse for disobedience. Exodus 30:15. The rich shall not pay more, and the poor shall not pay less than the half shekel which you give as a contribution to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Leviticus 19.15 You shall not do injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great, but you are to judge your neighbor fairly. Why would we defer in judgment to the poor who have broken the law, you got rich and poor and they've broken the same law, why would we defer to the poor? Feel bad for them, Feel bad for them because they're poor. And so our feelings become a, a factor in how we're going to judge whether they've done right or whether they've done wrong. And so, so while we're talking about not not thinking more highly of the rich than we do the poor, at the same time the poor fall under the same standard as do the rich. So, the rich and the poor are subject to the same law. God does not show partiality, and there's a lot of verses about that that says God is not partial, but every man who fears him, no matter what nation they're in, is right and welcome to him. Then James talks about why are you elevating the rich man when they're typically the ones that haul you into court, sue you for everything you've got? Why would you still, and blaspheme the name of the Lord, why would we still want to share their spotlight, so to speak? And I think it goes back to that same reason again. It, it has a sense of elevating us as well. So the rich are conceited and they often look down on the poor. Do you know what the problem with the poor is? They resent the rich, which is equally um, guilty. They resent people for being rich. And there's a resentment there. And you you, you see it today even. Someone that's paid the price, worked long hours, made good choices, and they become successful. And then you've got another individual who's made poor choices, hasn't paid the price, hasn't worked long hours, and they resent the rich because they're rich. And so, you know, there's responsibility on both sides. But at the end of the day, in terms of value, the rich and poor are of equal value in the eyes of the Lord. And they need to be in our, life, in, in, in our eyes as well. How serious a sin is this? Well, here's where verses 9, 10, and 11 come in. If you keep the whole law and break it in any one point, such as this one, you become guilty of all, and you're a transgressor of the law. Any transgression of the law, no matter what it is, renders you a transgressor of the law. And so, at the end of this section here, James gives the one command in this paragraph. It's in verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. So he goes back to speaking and acting, in light of the fact that you will be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What do you think about that last? uh, Mercy? No, let's see. Merciless. Judgment will be merciless. Who's that speaking to? Believers or unbelievers? Uh, let's see. This whole thing is addressed to the church. So what has this judgment got to do with us? We're, we're Christians. Is the Lord going to judge Believers, for what? It works. It works. It yes, that's right. Uh, um, chapter, Revelation 2 and 3, those two chapters are both letters addressed to the churches from Jesus Christ. And you could summarize the message to each one of them in, in 3.19. Those whom I love, I discipline and reprove. In 1 Corinthians 3, it describes how it, at the end day, there is going to be a judgment by Christ of the works of the believer. What we have done, rich and poor. We're... Mm-hmm. Not understanding that means that we are going to be judged, and that we do judge. We're created to judge. We judge the seats of our fathers, the the closures, the closures, the closures, so we not use that in a uh, way or another way over someone else. Well, especially in this verse, because we're not the ones judging. Christ is the one judging. This is the judgment seat of Christ where we are going to be recompensed, and that's the word, to recompense. We're going to be given back for the things that we've done. We're going to be rewarded. Uh, The last words, if you have the words of Jesus in red in your Bible, the last red words are in Revelation 22, verse 12. It says, Behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. And so, believers Who are saved by grace, our sins are forgiven. We'll never be judged as sinners, but the works that we have done for Christ are going to be evaluated and they're going to be rewarded in one way or another. What are the rewards? Paul says, He who plants and he who waters are one, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And so we live this life right now as believers, walking with the Lord, and yet. The the things that we do for the Lord are going to be rewarded by the Lord in the end. And I don't know what the rewards are, but we do know that when it talks about the kingdom of God that we will inherit, there are some who are called, referred to as the least in the kingdom, and others who are called the greatest in the kingdom. We're all in the kingdom, but apparently there may be some uh, uh, levels of authority there. I don't know, but nevertheless... Merciless will be the judgment to the one that has not shown mercy. It's just like we're called to love people as we want to be loved. And we're called to be merciful to people just like we want God to be merciful to us. And so this is our responsibility, okay? The poor are coming in. Paul is, or James is essentially saying, you need to show mercy to that person, not, not put him off in a corner. Should we honor, are we called to honor anyone above others? Yes, we are. And some of you will be very happy to hear this. Leviticus 19.32 You shall rise up before the gray-headed and honor the aged. And you shall revere the Lord your God. <laughs> uh, it, it, it reminds me of uh, uh, when Tom and Marilyn and Dean, the, that team went to Africa to help build a kitchen, wasn't it, Dean? And they wouldn't let Tom do any work. Do you know why? Because he had gray hair. He was, he was honored among them just for that purpose. So ladies, don't color that hair. <laughs> uh, <no. laughs> so, what God calls us to do is regard everyone as of equal value in the eyes of the Lord. We may not all give them the same privileges as we do others, but if we're honoring them, if we're regarding them, and not devaluing them by our attitude and sometimes our actions, that's what God calls us to do. Yeah, that's a good point. Isn't is it not calling us to regard them as to see them as individuals and not as a part of a a, a common group? Pardon? Yeah. 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 Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> um, is there any evidence that the Lord ever showed partiality? Think carefully now. When God chose Abraham, to bestow his promises upon. When God chose nation, the nation of Israel out of all of the other nations of the earth, is that partiality? Or is that discrimination? Yeah, God is working out purposes in making those distinctions. There's purpose behind it, and God is sovereign and He's God. You know, I can always fall back on this. God can do whatever He wants to do, and He's not accountable to me. Thank you, Lord. And he can do it because he's the potter, but we can't do it because we're the clay. We're all, we're all clay. So uh, d- just to finalize here, get to the main point here. In our, in our church body, we want everyone to feel welcome. We don't want to find ourselves looking down on people because of their appearance or their whatever. Whatever. Uh, we want to at least acknowledge their value and demonstrate that by our behavior toward them. Amen? But that verse 13, that, that's uh, merciless. That's not a word I want associated with me. So, Father God... Um, Sometimes, Lord, we, 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 we are warned, sometimes, Lord, we are warned against fellowshipping with certain people. You're the one that gave us that warning. And so, Father, sometimes we need to know the right thing to do according to your will. And at the same time, Lord, to be able to do that but not consider their value as a person less than than ours, and father, we are we are often we often have desires, Lord, that we want to be rich, and because we think more riches will bring a better life. I just pray, Father, that you would guard us uh, against thinking about riches improperly Lord uh, you uh, you give us the power to make wealth and Lord when we make wealth we need to acknowledge that it's a gift from you so Lord I pray that you would help us as believers wherever we're at not to look down on another because of the color of their skin because of the amount of wealth or poverty that's with them or how they appear Lord, so many things, would you guard us from considering ourselves better than others? We are all one body in Christ. The members are to have an equal care one for another. Father, would you continue to fill our body of believers with your spirit that we can live out our faith in a way that brings glory and not shame to Jesus Christ.